took a Snapchat picture and sent it to some of my friends and just said, always in awe of him. I mean, the God that created and painted that sky this morning is the living God that we serve. And uh, may we really become more aware of his presence in our lives. Um, This morning, if you are new with us or visiting with us, we're in the middle of a series that I've called Golden Nuggets from the Epistles. Golden Nuggets from the Epistles. And um, just those passages of Scripture that are, I mean, all of the Scripture is a golden nugget, but there are some passages that in our lives have just spoken to us, have been kind of hallmark passages. And uh, I've heard from some of you, and I want to encourage you again, uh, if there are passages of Scripture that uh, are especially meaningful to you, I'd love for you to write them on your attendance card, your Connect card, and uh, I'd love the opportunity to, to kind of add those in. Uh, this series won't go on forever, uh, but it'll go on for a few more weeks. And uh, we have gone through, um, the first week we looked at Romans chapter 4, the God of all hope. Last week, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, running to win. Are you still running to win? Good. Today we're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you've got uh, a Bible, go ahead and go there. And we're going to talk about passionate faith. Passionate faith. And uh, throughout the course of my life, throughout the course of my ministry here, I have loved finding what people are passionate about. Uh, especially when, it's, when it kind of blindsides you. I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation with someone and you realize you've hit one of their passions and uh, you didn't know. And I uh, remember when I was youth pastor, when we first came, we had this young boy in our youth ministry, and uh, he was very shy, very quiet. In fact, there were times in Sunday school, he would zip his coat literally up over his head and sit that way in Sunday school. And uh, he did this for years, and I was trying to get him to come out of his shell, but he just would not open up. He would not talk. And we went to summer camp, and that back then we were going to Ellendale, North Dakota, up to Trinity Bible College. And the ride up there, he sat in the front seat because he didn't really like to interact with the other kids in the back, but uh, he always sat in the front seat. And, uh, you know, do you ever have, try to have a conversation with someone and you're the only one talking? <laughs> it's just not a conversation. And so we went back and forth for a while, and uh, at camp, he was a little standoffish still. Nothing changed. I mean, he sought God, and you felt like he had a genuine heart for God. He just was quiet. And uh, on the way home... Um, I didn't want him in the front seat, but he was there again because I'm tired. At the end of a camp week, you're just physically exhausted. And I'm like, I need someone to talk to me and keep me awake. I don't need quiet, man. And uh, we're driving down the road, and somehow we got on a, a conversation about Nintendo Power Magazine. I don't know if you're uh, young enough or old enough. I don't know where, but or hip enough or not hip enough to remember Nintendo Power. But uh, we started talking about it, and uh, I said, that is a complete waste of money. Well, Mr. Quiet Man came like out of his shell, and all of a sudden, he began to tell me why it was not a waste of money, and what good Nintendo Power Magazine does, and for the next two hours, I kid you not, he talked my ear off on the way home about the Legend of Zelda and all of the cheats you can learn in Nintendo Power Magazine and the value of Nintendo Power Magazine, and uh, I learned early on, when you hit somebody's passion, they come unglued. And just this last week, we, were, we had our men's fellowship here, and uh, we were in the fellowship hall talking, and uh, Dr. Jesse told us about uh, Jeff Moore, the concert that's coming up, and uh, just the way he lit up. I didn't realize he was a Jeff Moore fan, but uh, Jeff Moore in the distance, woo! 
go. And uh, he even shared that he wanted to sit in the front row, but his wife didn't want to sit in the front row during the concert. But um, how many times he's seen Jeff Moore concert? And it just took me back. And so I, I uh, sent him a message and said, can I bring that up? Because that's just, that's what we're talking about. When you find that passion where people just begin to light up. I mean, if you talk to me for any length of time, you're going to find out I love Christmas. I mean, I love Christmas, and I don't love it at Christmas. I love it all the time, and uh, it's just a part of who I am. And uh, you want to talk about our cross-country team, I'll talk to you forever about it until your eyes glaze over because it's something I'm passionate about. And we all have those passions, those things that, that really we love. When we talk about our families, when we talk about our kids, uh, we just, we light up and we enjoy those things. And you talk to anyone long enough, you're going to find a passion. Sometimes we respond uh, in anger over our passion. Maybe we have a passion about abortion. And so it just, it causes a, an anger, a frustration within us. Sometimes it's an excitement to, over the, some of the things I've just talked about. We, we get excited, and there's nothing wrong with passion. God has put passion in our hearts. He's created us as human beings with emotion and with uh, the, the desire to be passionate for stuff. I mean, he, he talked about the, the passion that he puts between men and women in a marriage relationship. I mean, if there was no passion in your relationship, then nothing would draw us together as husbands and wives. Now, Passion doesn't always stay all by itself. It's got to be kept up. It's got to be lit a fire under, if you will. You have to work on passion in your life. But the scripture tells us that our passion for Christ, our passion for God, our passion for his kingdom should supersede any other passion in our lives. There's a passage of scripture in Luke chapter 14. I know I told you to go to 2 Timothy 1. We'll get there. If you want to be my disciple... You must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Now, we have heard that so many times that it has lost its, its impact on our lives. But if you stop for a second and realize Jesus is saying, every passion you have in your life He's okay with it. He's okay that you're passionate about football. He's okay that you're passionate about your wife and children or your husband. He's okay that you're passionate about shopping and sales and all that good stuff. He's just saying, if passion for me doesn't supersede all of that, you're not worthy to be my disciple. And he says that because his passion for us was proved through the cross. He proved his love for us, his passion towards us, By giving himself. And emotion didn't drive him to the cross. Okay, so when we talk about passion, I'm not talking about emotion. I'm talking about desire deeper than just your your emotion on the surface. Passion drove him to the cross, passion for us. And so that's a sobering statement in our lives. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, The Apostle Paul is writing a very personal letter to his son in the faith, Timothy. Now, Paul is in prison. He's been in prison before. If you remember the book of Romans, at the end of Romans, he was under house arrest. I mean, now, prison for us today isn't quite like prison for the Apostle Paul. I mean, house arrest wasn't so bad, but, you know, they didn't get three square meals a day. They didn't have television. They didn't have uh, a gym. They didn't get work release. They didn't have all of these nice things that we have in prison. The Apostle Paul, when he writes 2 Timothy chapter 1, is in a dungeon. He's in a dark place. It's cold. It's damp. 
He's probably turning ill. He recognizes that he is nearing the end of his life. He's been in prison before, but he knows he's at the end of his life. He tells us that here in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And this letter is a very personal, but yet very challenging letter. Because the Apostle Paul is reminding Timothy, you know, don't let your passion die. Don't let your fervor die. Don't live with any regrets. Come to the point in your life where you live all out so that when you face the end like me, there's no regrets. And that's the the passion that we see in this letter from the Apostle Paul. He's been abandoned by everyone close to him at this point. No one wants anything to do with him because he's about to be executed and they don't want, you know, to be close to that for fear that they might too be executed. So he's in this dark place and he writes this amazing letter to Timothy and he starts it out in, first, in 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 3. He says, Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Now, at the end of your life, I pray that you can say that too, that you have served God with a clear conscience. You may not have lived every day perfect. You may not have always hit the mark. But at the end of the day, you have lived with a clear conscience. In other words, when the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, you have responded. You have lived with obedience. Even when in times when you disobeyed at first, you've repented and you've come back. And you can say at the end of your life, you've lived, without, or you've lived with a clear conscience. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again. For I remember your tears as we parted. And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I mean, he, he loves this kid. And Timothy obviously had strong feelings for the Apostle Paul. But beyond that, I want us to notice this. I remember your genuine faith. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. The, the, the NIV says that faith lives in you. Okay, it's not enough that your grandmother and your mother had faith. That faith also has to live in you. I don't, I'm, I'm grateful that my parents took me to church as a child, but their faith won't get me anywhere. That faith has to be alive in my life. This is why I remind you. I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And so, Father, I pray that as we look at this passage today, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate your word in our hearts, that we would know and understand, God, the things that you want to teach us and show us and apply to our lives today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul says, Timothy, you've got a genuine faith. I know it. I've seen it. In other words, Timothy has lived his life in such a way that the Apostle Paul can look at him and say, I'm seeing the fruit of salvation in your life. That thing is living in you. But he says, even in spite of that, I want to remind you that there's a spiritual gift that's in your life that requires you to fan it into flames. That word fan into flames is to literally take the embers of a fire and stir them up so that flame appears again. If you, you've had a fire in your backyard, you've had a fire when you're camping, and the flames go out, and those embers are underneath. I mean, they teach us in Royal Rangers that when you put out a fire, you sprinkle, scatter, sprinkle, because you want to make sure all those embers are out. That fire is not out until the last coal is no longer red, because all it takes is a gust of wind and some new kindling, and that little itty-bitty fl- flame, that, that ember, can spark a fire. 
So they teach us that. So Paul is saying, Timothy, you've got a genuine faith. Those coals are there. I've seen it. But here's the thing. You've got a gift. You've got something that God has deposited in your life that isn't just going to fan into flames all by itself. You've got to stir that thing up just the way you would put kindling on a fire and stir up those embers. You've got to fan that thing into flame or your passion for God is going to wane. You're not going to be able to look back over your life and say, I live with a clear conscience. You're not going to be able to look back over the course of your life and say, I didn't have any regret. If you're just waiting for that fire to all of a sudden spark in your heart, it's not going to happen. You've got to fan that thing into flame. Now, we look at this gift or this grace. That word gift is the same Greek word for grace in the Scripture. So somehow, something has been deposited in Timothy's life through the laying on of hands, separate from a salvation experience because he says, I've seen your genuine faith. But there's a gift, there's a grace that comes from the laying on of hands. Now, the laying on of hands doesn't happen at salvation. Nowhere in Scripture are we taught that for people to be saved, we've got to lay hands on them. But there are times in the Scripture that we're taught about laying on of hands. In Hebrews chapter 6, it even tells us that we should stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again and go on to mature things in our relationship. We don't need further instruction. Look at this at the end. About baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and the the eternal judgment. There's something about the laying on of hands that in the early church was just a part of who they were. I mean, they understood that there was something significant about laying hands on people. Now, what is Paul talking about? Well, here's the thing that I was always taught and I always believed. When there is a scripture, when there's a passage you don't understand, use scripture to understand scripture. Don't go to an outside source and try to gain understanding until you've gone to scripture first. I don't care what Dr. So-and-so teaches or said. What does the scripture say? So in this case, when we look at laying on of hands, let's go to the scripture and find out what does the scripture teach us about laying on of hands because it teaches us a lot of things. There is a theology that we want to build in our lives. It should always come from scripture, not from our own ideas or from what someone else wants to tell us. So in in the gospels, we see Jesus often laying hands on people. To bring healing. We see the apostles in the book of Acts. We see them in the New Testament teaching about the laying on the hands when it comes to healing. That could be what the apostle Paul's talking about. The other times we're taught in Acts chapter 8, when, the, when people received the baptism in the Holy Spirit throughout the New Testament, they received it when the apostles laid hands upon them. Now, that wasn't always the case. There were times when Peter was preaching at Cornelius' house. When he was preaching and the Holy Spirit came upon them, nobody laid hands on them. But generally, throughout the Old Testament, Acts chapter 8, we see it. In fact, here we see them laying on of hands, and we see Simon, who is a sorcerer who has gotten saved, wanting that same power. I want to be able to lay hands on people and see them receive too. How much do I have to pay for that? And Peter says, may your money perish with you. And he curses him, but Simon realizes, hey, that's not what I meant. I'm sorry. And he repents, and Peter takes back the curse. But we see the laying on of hands. In Acts chapter 9, when Paul is blinded, and he is waiting for Ananias to come and see him, Ananias comes and lays hands on him and says, regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 19, when the believers in Samaria were, were saved, 
but they hadn't received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul or goes to them and says, uh, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? They haven't heard about the Holy Spirit. So Paul teaches them about the Holy Spirit, lays hands upon them, and they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Scripture also teaches us that in times of commissioning, when people are going to be appointed to a, spur, a certain service as a missionary or as a, a minister in the church, that hands are laid upon them. In Acts chapter 13, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them to. So that after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. It's almost as if the Holy Spirit is commissioning through people Okay, it's the work of the Holy Spirit done through us. It has nothing to do with our hands. Okay, these hands are not blessed. The Holy Spirit is the one that moves through us, but He does it through the laying on of hands. Paul teaches in 1 Timothy chapter 4, in 1 Timothy chapter 5. He says here, don't neglect the gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Now, Timothy wasn't a naughty boy in church growing up, and so the apostles had to lay their hands on him. That's not what he's talking about. He was called into service. He was appointed as a pastor, and the apostles laid hands on him. We're told in 1 Timothy chapter 5, don't be quick to lay hands on people. In other words, if someone is a new believer and they're new to the faith, don't be quick to put them in a position of leadership in the church and lay hands on them and appoint them to that service. So what is the apostle Paul talking about? When he says about laying hands on Timothy and Timothy receiving this spiritual gift, is he talking about healing? Is he talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Is he talking about Timothy's commission or his calling? We don't know for sure. Chances are he's not referring to the healing. I don't believe that he's referring to his calling because the Apostle Paul is clear to say, when I laid my hands on you. Here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the elders laid hands on him. Okay, so Paul is referring to, I believe, the baptism in the Holy Spirit or the gift of the Holy Spirit coming into his life. That grace, that gift that has come into his life. It's not going to happen, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit is not just going to engage you in your life just because you've received him, just because you've experienced him. You have to, in essence, stir up that gift within your heart, within your life. And it's not about getting emotional. It's not about whipping yourself into a frenzy. But it's about stirring up the passion for the, for the kingdom of God, for that gift that is in your life. And what's the purpose of this gift? Well, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he goes on to talk about two specific things. Here's why the Holy Spirit has been given. And I believe this is why the Holy Spirit's been given. One, don't be ashamed to tell others about the good news. That's what he says. Don't be ashamed to tell others about this good news. Don't be afraid of it. The Holy Spirit has been given to us for one reason and one reason alone, that you would have power to be witnesses. Not so that you could come to church and feel good about yourself, but so that you can indeed tell others about what Christ has done for you. So that you can be passionate about God and the kingdom of God. I love to talk to people about what I'm passionate about. I don't play Christmas music because I have to discipline myself to do it, because it's the right thing to do. I do it because I'm passionate. When people ask me anything about cross country, that's an open door, and I just come right through to tell you about how our team's doing this year, because I'm passionate for it. My passion for him should supersede any of that, and I should always be looking for an open door to tell him about the one who was more passionate for me than I have ever been for him. 
That's what the Holy Spirit is about. And we've got to stir up that fire in our hearts so that we become passionate about Him. Then He says, don't be afraid to suffer. (laughs) Now remember, this is the guy in the dungeon about ready to die. Don't be afraid to suffer. Don't be afraid. God has not given us a spirit of fear, a spirit of intimidation, of timidity. He's given us a spirit of power, a spirit of love, a spirit of self-discipline, so that when you face adversity and you face hardship, you can stare it down and be passionate. You can do what is right even when you don't feel like doing what's right. You can do what's right even when you may be afraid because God's not given us a spirit of fear. That's not the Holy Spirit telling you that God has given us a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. He's given us power, strength, courage. He's given us love, love for God, love for people that would drive us when we don't want to do it. When selfishness would want to rise up, there's a spirit of love he's placed in us that will supersede that so that we'll do what's right and not be selfish. He's given us a spirit of self-discipline so that we can do what is right when we don't feel like doing what's right. Passion is not about doing what I feel like doing. It's doing what he's placed within me to do. And sometimes I don't feel like doing that. Now, the scripture tells us, don't be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor. Brothers and sisters, 1 Corinthians 15, be strong and immovable. Work enthusiastically for the Lord. That's not going to come just because someone lays hands on you. Okay? There can be a gift that's deposited in your life, but you have got to stir that gift up. Now, we can have wrong zeal. In Philippians chapter 3, the apostle Paul tells us about his wrong zeal. He was once a persecutor of the church. See, we can be passionate about right doctrine like the apostle Paul was and still be fighting against God and fighting against the church. That's what he tells us in Philippians chapter 3. But now I consider all of that, all of that, I got to have absolutely correct doctrine. Nothing wrong with having correct doctrine. In fact, it's a good idea to have correct doctrine. The scripture says, study to show yourself approved. But you can go be so passionate for correct doctrine and not be passionate for him. And that'll get you in trouble. We can be passionate for a method or a style or a song of worship and not be passionate for him. And so if it's not the song I like or the style I like, I can't worship because I'm not in it for him. I'm in it for the worship. I'm in it for the feeling. It's it's easy to get misplaced zeal and misplaced passion. We can do it all the time, and it looks good. We can get passionate about abortion, and we can get passionate about the defense of marriage to the point that we forget to become passionate for the one that had an abortion and compassionate for the homosexual. We've got to make sure that we keep his fire burning in our hearts with right passion, with true passion, because that'll lead me to impact others out of passion for him and not my own personal preference. In other words, I won't make little robots of me who like the style of worship that I like, who like the messages that I like, the books that I like. I don't care if you look like me. I just care that you're passionate for him. I don't care if we have the same styles. I don't care if you ever love Christmas as much as me. Although, why wouldn't you? It's when Jesus came. But I want you to be passionate for him to the point that what flows out of our lives is telling others about him. 
We don't have to discipline ourselves to do it. Yeah, for a while we do. For a while we have to discipline ourselves to pray. For a while we have to discipline ourselves. And every once in a while we just get lazy and we gotta discipline ourselves. That's why we've been given a spirit of self-discipline to be able to do that. But it, serving God should not be out of discipline. It should be out of passion. And if you wanna stir up that passion in your heart, let me give you four quick things. Some of you are like, Whoa, four things still? They'll be short, I promise. I promised before and broken, but I'll try to keep it. The first thing you need to do is you just need to ask. I'm reading a book right now by Jim Cimbala, that just powerful book, um, reminding us that we try everything. I mean, we go to every book and every source and every uh, thing and every counselor and every, everything we try to, to get our lives on track. And he says, have you ever just tried asking? I mean, just asking him. Like that widow that just wouldn't stop asking until she got what she needed. Our salvation does not depend on our ability to stir up or create passion in our hearts. It depends on him from start to finish. Ask him. God, stir up passion in my heart for you. Create passion in my heart for you. I don't want to just whip up emotion in my heart. I want to be truly and genuinely passionate for you so that when I'm sick and when I don't feel good, I'm still passionate for you. When I don't feel like being passionate, I'm still, there's something within me that's driving me beyond my human emotion. That's passion. Now the thing is, is asking for it is not going to happen like zap passion within your heart. The Holy Spirit's going to lead you into passion. He's going to lead you into these next few things, okay? We're waiting for the Holy Spirit to zap it with, with, with passion and just do it all, and He's giving us the direction to stir up passion in our lives. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling means there's something you got to do now. And so as you ask for the Holy Spirit, you ask Him to create passion in your heart, He's going to direct you. And here's what He's going to direct you to do. Seek Him and His kingdom first. Seek Him and his kingdom first. Make it a priority. Prayer has got to be a priority in your life. If you are not praying regularly, you will not have passion for him and his kingdom. We live in a world that is always sucking our passion for him out of our lives. Prayer, time in the word, are essential to developing spiritual passion. Not only that, but obedience is essential to stirring up and creating passion in our hearts. If you love me, obey my commandments. If we are not walking in obedience to what his word commands, there will not be spiritual passion in our hearts. You'll have, you'll have a genuine faith, maybe. I mean, the scripture's kind of, you know, if we're not really obeying him, are you really loving me? Are you really following me? But I'm not interested in just having embers glowing in my heart that people have to look really deep. Oh yeah, I see a fire in there. I want it to be bold. I want it to be everywhere I go. I want people to be so annoyed that all I talk about is this Jesus guy. Because he's made such a difference in my life. That's passion. And that's not going to happen if I'm not walking in obedience. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones that love me. And because they love me, the Father will love them. And I will love them. And I'll reveal myself to each of them. You know, it's not just, come into church, please God, reveal yourself to us. We're going to cut ourselves now so you reveal yourselves to us. So just 
obey me. Just do what I ask you to do and I'm going to show up every time. You just do what I've asked you to do. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them. We'll come and make our home with them. That's another one that we just kind of are like, yeah, I heard that before. Jesus and the Father are going to make their home in our lives when we walk in obedience to Him. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. Remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. You want to stir up those embers? Prayer, the Word, and obedience will stir that up in your heart. Some of you are like, that's four. No. My counting is different than yours. The next one, number three, we got to adjust our attitude. Everyone say amen. You have, that means, if you don't know what amen means, that means so be it. We need to adjust our attitudes. You want to create spiritual passion in your life, you will not do it by complaining and arguing. I don't care if you have a legitimate complaint or not, fix it, do something about it. Go to the person that can make that situation better, but stop griping and complaining about it all the time. If we complain and argue, we will not shine like stars. We will not have spiritual passion and zeal. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and in Hebrews chapter 4, we're warned to not be like the Israelites. Don't be like those people that wandered and died in the desert, even though they were promised access to the promised land. There are way too many people saying, you know, God made all these promises, but he never came through in my life. All the while living disobedient and complaining and grumbling and then saying God didn't lead me into the promised land. Maybe we skipped the part where God says don't be like those whose bodies died in the desert and didn't enter the promised land. Don't complain and don't grumble. Don't be critical of other people. Romans chapter 14. Who are you to condemn someone else's servant? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall and with the Lord's help they'll stand and receive his approval. There is a movement in the church world today to criticize and condemn just about everyone who doesn't believe the same way we do. Be wary of that. I mean, Jesus was clear. He went to the Pharisees and he told them the same stuff that he said anywhere else. But be careful about looking at every single person that disagrees with you and pointing out the flaws and pointing out the stuff. Because here's the thing, at the end of the day, he's going to judge them. And at the end of the day, he's trying to help them stand. With our criticism of them, we're not trying to help them stand. We're trying to rip them down. Help them stand. If we're not careful about our tongues, bitterness and unforgiveness comes in. There's not going to be passion in our lives. You want to stir up those embers, that gift of God in your life? Be careful how you speak. Be careful of our attitudes. We've got to adjust that. And the reason I said that we all need to say amen, because we all need to say amen. All of our attitudes from time to time get us into troubles, and it's easy to slip back into that critical, unforgiving, bitter type of attitude. Don't let it happen. You've been given a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline to keep it from happening. Last one, recognize and remove passion killers. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that appeases our flesh at every turn, especially in America. The reason Jesus said it's hard for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven is because the rich get everything catered to their flesh that they need. The same things that feed your flesh will dull your spirit. 
They may not be sinful things. They may not seem like bad things. But we have got to be cautious and wary of everything that feeds our flesh. Luke chapter 21. Jesus warns us to watch out that our hearts can become dulled by carousing, by drunkenness, by the worries of this life. We teach and preach and live at this church a fasted lifestyle where monthly we call ourselves as a body to fast and pray. And this week we're entering into what we call our media fast for one week where we separate, we turn off the TV, we turn off the internet, we close down Facebook, we just, we separate ourselves. Not because those things are bad. I mean, I love Facebook. I love interacting with people. I love posting things and reading stuff and I love it too. I love sports. I love checking my phone to see how my fantasy football team's doing. And I love to engage myself in all those things. But I have to recognize that, that while that stuff is not necessarily sinful, it feeds my flesh. And if my flesh gets fed just enough, my spirit will begin to wane and be dulled. And so periodically we separate ourselves and do different types of fasting and prayer. And we meet together to pray because we understand the danger. Now, fasting is not just a a magic wand that we wave over our lives. It's possible to fast just like the Pharisees did and not be seeking Him. And so as you go into this week of fasting, however the Lord leads you to separate yourself from media, and I know at work we've got to use the internet and we've got to do stuff like that, but let the Lord lead you this week. Don't let it be some legalistic um, harness that you put on yourself. We're separating ourselves from media to seek Him. We're not just, you know exercising self-control and saying, I'm not going to look all week. I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look. What good is that? We're growing in Him. Because those things that feed my flesh will also dull my spirit. So we're told in Hebrews chapter 12, strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up so that we can run with endurance the race that God has set before us. See what Paul's saying? See what he's saying in 2 Timothy chapter 1? Stir up that gift in your life. Recognize there's stuff in your life that you need to throw off every once in a while because you want to fan into flame the gift of God that's in your life because you want to be a witness, because you want to overcome when adversity and hardship comes. You don't want to be reactionary. You don't want to act the way everyone expects you to act or the way that the, the world acts. You want to be different. You want to be weird. On Wednesday nights, we're going to be starting this week a study by Craig Rochelle called Weird. And that study is about living this type of lifestyle. Being weird. Doing what the the kingdom of God calls us to do and not what we feel like doing. I don't know about you, but I want to make sure that I'm willing to throw off any killer of passion in my life. I mean, there are times where the Holy Spirit will come along and say, hey, why don't we stop doing that? In fact, one of my friends wrote a book we have for sale on our bookshelf called Relentless Passion. Uh, I admire Jeff, Pastor Jeff, so much. And uh, it's out there. It's talking about positioning your heart to encounter God and stirring up passion in your hearts. And if you want to read it, pick up a copy, read it. We have a couple copies in our library. There's a Kindle version. Uh, But the, the thing I love most about him is his passion for God and his willingness to throw anything off. His willingness to go into a 40-day fast because he feels like his heart's becoming weighed down. His willingness as being, I don't know why he's a Yankee fan, but he's a Yankee fan. To be able to turn off baseball completely 
for an entire season, for years at a time, two and three seasons, and not really even pay attention to it at all. When here's a guy that, that is passionate about, about baseball and knows the stats, but he understands, you know what? He is so much better than anything. He's better than any Yankee game. He's better than any World Series championship. And if the Holy Spirit comes and says, hey, this thing is killing your passion, he could easily look and say, yeah, but look, that guy's passionate and he watches baseball. I mean, isn't that what we do? God comes along and says, hey, maybe you need to get rid of your TV. They have a TV and look, they're passionate. It's not about them. I mean, it's almost like when, when Peter and Jesus are having a conversation and Jesus says, Peter, when you get old, people are going to lead you where you don't want to go. They're going to bind you. You're going to suffer for me. Well, what about John? What about him? You don't worry about him. You worry about you and what I've called you to do. And we're all wired so different that what squeezes the passion out of our lives is not going to squeeze it out of someone else's. And the more you walk with him and talk with him, he'll say, hey, throw that off. And you can wrestle with it and argue with it. And God will let you keep going. And you can still even experience God because there's still embers in your heart. There's no question. There's still a genuine faith there. I mean, you don't get to heaven because you don't have a TV. But you didn't come to me saying, hey, God, I want to stir up passion in my heart. You didn't come to me saying, how do I get to heaven? Well, follow me. But how do I get more of you in my life? How do I get more passionate for you? You really want to know? I'll show you. Let's take this walk together and I'll show you. And here's the thing. There's not one person that's ever given up a television that said, I really miss my TV. Jesus just doesn't complete me like my TV does. <laughs> Whatever it is that he says throw off. Let's not just be all bad on TV today. Let's be bad on everything. Anything you lay down will pale in comparison to what you find. If you lay it down to find him. If you just lay it down to look religious or, you know, to get control of yourself, that's not what it's about. It's about going after him. It's about recognizing there are things in our lives that squelch that pure spiritual passion in our hearts. So the question after all of that is, how is our passion for him and his kingdom? And how does it stack up to the other passions in our lives? All of you in this place are here on a Sunday morning chances are there's some level of passion in our hearts. I mean, we don't get up early on a Sunday morning and go to church without there being some type of ember in our hearts. I'm not saying there's no passion in our lives, but it's time to fan that into flame. It's time to say, you know what? I need the, the passion of God in my heart because I need to be a witness, because I need to overcome adversity, because I know there's trouble waiting around tomorrow's corner. And I want to overcome that. I don't want to just make it through it. I don't want to just get through it by the skin of my teeth. I want to overcome that thing. The way the Apostle Paul did. The way he looked. I want to go after him. So we ask. We seek. We adjust. And we recognize. We stop those passion killers in our lives. It's as simple as asking, seeking, adjusting, and stopping. That's what we do. To stir up passion in our hearts. Stand with me if you would. Father, as we come to the end of this service today, God, I thank you that you have been passionate for us. And God, even when we are unpassionate for you, when we're faith, unfaithful, you are faithful. I thank you that even while we were your enemies, with zero passion to you, towards you at all, 
You loved us and proved your passion by sending your son to die on a cross for us. Father, thank you for the genuine faith that lives in the hearts of the people in this room. Holy Spirit, for those that are here today that do not have that genuine faith, would you make the power of the cross real and plain in their lives today, that that fire would begin in their hearts today. God, for those of us in this room that have that genuine faith, but those embers have grown cold, that flame is no longer there, or that flame is not what it once used to be, or that flame is not what it could be. Holy Spirit, lead us to stir up the gift, the grace that you've put in our lives. We ask you today, we, we implore you today to stir up passion, lead us to seek first your kingdom, to seek first your righteousness, that that's not just a verse that we've heard before, but it's, it's our lives. In every way, that's who we are. God, help us to be willing to lay everything else aside. Whatever it is that robs our passion, God, those bad attitudes that are so easy to have, Holy Spirit, help us, direct us, show us the steps that we need to take today. This morning as we get ready to to close, in just a moment I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray and you can come to the altar, you can pray in your pew. If you just want to take a moment, maybe you need to repent of an attitude, maybe you need to ask for direction, maybe you just need to ask for that passion to, to grow in your heart. But I feel like we need to take the time today to give you the opportunity to respond. If you're here and you want to be prayed for, our, our pastoral staff today would love to lay hands on you and pray for you. If you feel like you're just, you, number one, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord, we want to pray for you today to receive Jesus Christ. If that's the desire of your heart, I'm going to ask you to be brave and step out, and I want you to come and stand. Meet me right here in the front. You're in this room, and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. Would you come and meet me up here? Say, I want to do that today. I want to make Christ the Lord of my life. For those of you that are in this room that have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, I want to invite you to come. We'd love to pray for you to experience that baptism so that your life can be full to overflowing with passion for Him. And if you're here and you just feel like you are directionless in your life, you know, you, you're like, I don't know what I'm called to do, I just feel like I am just all over the place and I need clarity, and I need direction. We want to pray for you. Those are the three people I want to specifically pray for today, feel like that we need to. And so if that's you, before we close this service, would you come? Would you slip out now? Stand here in the front. We want to pray for you. Never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Never accepted Christ as your, your Savior. Or you're just kind of staggering. Would you meet me here in the front? Are there others? Come. We want to pray for you guys. For the rest of us, as we're praying for these three, I want you to just find a place around this altar, find a place at your pew, and I want you to begin to pray and allow God to stir up that passion in your hearts. Let Him guide you. Let Him direct you. When you need to be dismissed, just go ahead and do that quietly and let this be a place of prayer for those that want to continue to pray.
Ah uh... 